Hello listeners, and welcome to this Vetfolio educational podcast brought to you in part by DECRA. We're pleased that you've decided to join us as we explore the topic of chronic otitis externa with our guest speaker, Dr. Darren Dell. Dr. Dell attended Iowa State University for his undergraduate studies and completed the prerequisite for veterinary school in two years. In 2001, Dr. Dell graduated with honors from the University of Illinois College of Veterinary Medicine. Dr. Dell worked in small animal general practice for six years and small animal emergency medicine for two years before he began his residency with Animal Dermatology Clinic. In 2012, he became a diplomat of the American College of Veterinary Dermatology. We're very pleased to have Dr. Dell joining us today, and before we begin, we would like to note that the information provided in this session is intended to provide you with practical and timely information to assist you as a veterinary professional. The views and opinions provided are those of the presenter and do not necessarily represent the views, opinions, or policy of Vetfolio and its sponsors. Now let's dive into our session with Dr. Darren Dell. Today we are going to talk about the steps involved in troubleshooting chronic otitis cases. We actually have two goals today. The first is to help you prevent otitis from becoming chronic otitis. The second is to help you improve how you manage chronic cases that walk into your clinic. Unfortunately, there are many variables to consider and I can't give you a one-size-fits-all recipe. Chronic otitis is a dermatologic condition where the treatment steps are simple, but the overall approach can be very complicated. Perhaps it'll make you feel better to know that dermatologists also struggle with otitis cases sometimes. First step is asking, why are we here? By we, I mean the pet. And by here, I mean dealing with an ear infection. There are many primary causes of otitis, and while you may not record them in detail each time you see a patient with otitis, I bet you think about most, if not all of them. Primary causes include allergy, foreign objects, parasites, masses, endocrine disease, immune-mediated disease, and autoimmune disease. A standard history, physical exam, and otoscopic exam will narrow this list considerably. Keep in mind that allergy is the most common primary cause of otitis. Failure to resolve or manage the primary cause will result in a chronic or chronic recurrent otitis. In some cases, it is necessary to perform ancillary diagnostics to determine the primary cause. You might need to sedate the animal, to perform a full otoscopic exam, or perhaps blood testing, radiographs, or a CT scan are indicated. You must be persistent until you find the primary cause. Even if you can't absolutely pinpoint the primary cause, make sure you record a working diagnosis in the record. This will give you a reference point to return to if your treatment fails. It will also help you start a conversation with your client about the complexity of otitis. Keep in mind that the sudden development of otitis in an older patient with no previous history of otitis suggests a mass in the canal. By far, allergy is the most common primary cause of otitis. It is important to realize that some allergic patients will only demonstrate otitis and never scratch the rest of their body or lick their paws. The allergic influence in the ear canals often begins with inflammation and changes in the microenvironment in the ear canal before causing pruritus. If you feel that allergy is the primary cause, you will need to find a tool to effectively control the allergy before you will be able to completely resolve the otitis. This might require performing a prescription diet trial, evaluating one of the drug therapy options for allergy, or performing allergy testing. If you and your client decide to use drug therapy for allergy control, it is important to understand that newer allergy medications focus on itch relief and provide less relief for allergy-induced inflammation. One last comment about allergy triggering otitis externa. The allergy influence fluctuates over time. 
This is easy to explain when talking about environmental allergies because everyone understands that pollen levels change throughout the year. But it can also happen with food allergy if dogs are accidentally given treats or find their way into the trash can. With allergy patients, it is reasonable to expect good times and some bad times. After you feel confident that you have diagnosed the primary cause and are controlling it adequately, the next step is assessing client compliance. This isn't so that we can blame our clients for their pet's continued otitis. Rather, the purpose is to decide if there are non-medical factors that we need to account for and resolve. Almost every compliance issue can be overcome with open, non-judgmental communication. Frankly discussing with your client what their pet needs and what they can reasonably accomplish will help you adjust your treatment plan. You might have to board the pet in your hospital to medicate it daily. Or perhaps the client can drive to your office daily and have the treatment applied by your technician. Our profession is also fortunate to have two commercially available residual otic products that eliminate the need for owners to medicate at home. I find that the biggest barriers to compliance in otitis cases are usually untreated pain and anxiety. Whether our patients demonstrate it or not, ear infections hurt. If you are a parent, then you probably know what I'm talking about. Infants and toddlers with ear infections experience severe pain that parents probably aren't going to forget anytime soon. This is also a good time to remind ourselves that our patients are intelligent and emotional too. If they have been suffering from otitis for a long time, it is not uncommon for them to be anxious about having their ears handled. If your client says, my dog runs and hides when he sees the ear wash bottle, then you need the help of an anxietolytic medication. Medications such as carprofen and gabapentin are great for pain relief. Trazodone and alprazolam are great for anxiety. These types of medications can make a huge difference. They're relatively safe and relatively inexpensive too. As a side note, talking about the pain and anxiety of otitis with clients is often a relief to them. Most clients notice that their dog is acting abnormally, even if not obviously painful. By having this discussion, you validate their concerns and show them a path forward. The third step is evaluating how the ear canal looks now compared to its condition when you started therapy. This means that you have to be adamant about recheck exams. Typically, rechecking otitis cases every 10 to 14 days is ideal. First, evaluate the status of the canal. Is it erythematous, edematous, constricted, calcified? Do you see ulceration or glandular hyperplasia on otoscopic exam? These changes need to be considered before you think about antimicrobial therapy. If these changes are not addressed, then you won't achieve long-term success. Severely calcified ears and ears that remain swollen closed despite steroid therapy will likely be best managed with surgery. Erythema and edema in the canals requires at least topical steroid therapy and sometimes systemic steroid therapy. These changes may be a factor of the primary cause, such as allergy, or the result of chronic infection. Don't be afraid to use a short 5-14 to 14 day course of an oral steroid to reduce edema in the canal. This will help you advance your therapy and get a better look in the canal so you can decide what the next step may be. Second, is there a significant amount of exudate present in the canal? Is the exudate thick, waxy, dry, or mucoid? Assessing this factor will change the type of ear wash you prescribe and how often you recommend cleaning. For example, if you clean an ear with minimal exudate too frequently, you can cause tissue irritation and ulceration. Otitis cases with only a small amount of debris should be cleaned once or twice weekly. In contrast, an otitis that is producing large amounts of exudate should be cleaned daily or even twice daily so that the medication you prescribe isn't just sitting on top of all that junk. If the debris is thick and waxy, you will want an ear wash that either contains squalene or micelles. These ingredients can mix with the wax and dissolve it, making it easier to remove. Otic exudate that is mucoid often responds best to an ear wash with Triz EDTA. 
The bottom line is that if you don't effectively remove the exudate, then the efficacy of your antimicrobial is going to be severely diminished. Another important factor to keep in mind is that some topical antibiotics, such as polymyxin, are inactivated by purulent debris. Lastly, assess the amount and type of infection present. Performing cytology at each examination is extremely important so that you can monitor for changes and adjust antimicrobial therapy wisely. It doesn't matter what system you use to quantify the infection so long as everyone in your hospital uses the same scale. Some veterinarians like an organism per high powered field approach, while others use a one plus, two plus, etc. scale. Try to record the infectious agents as well as any cells that are present. The importance of tracking otic cytology at each visit cannot be emphasized enough. Cytology is usually more valuable than bacterial culture. Of course, in some cases, bacterial culture is warranted. However, you must remember that bacterial cultures evaluate sensitivity based on levels of antibiotics achievable in the blood. We can obtain 100 to 1,000 times that concentration when we treat topically with antibiotics. Let's stop here for a moment because I need to make an important point. Did you notice that I didn't start by talking about the infectious components of otitis? Is resistant infection the first thing that you think about when someone says chronic otitis? In most cases, antibiotics are not the cause of failure in chronic or chronic recurrent otitis. What often happens is that other factors are not controlled, and that's because other factors are more difficult to control. I mean, who wants to talk about compliance? What client is excited to start lifelong allergy therapy? So a client comes in, gets an ear medication, thinks it isn't working, and then complains. A veterinarian hopes to save the day and end the complaining, so switches medications, switches antibiotics. Unfortunately, if the primary cause is not controlled, then switching antibiotics only yields temporary, if any, improvement. And over time, the more antibiotics the ear is exposed to, the more likely we are to see resistant infections. It is a self-fulfilling prophecy. Antibiotics are certainly necessary in many situations, but remember that topical antibiotic therapy is the primary way that we treat infections involved with otitis externa. Systemic antibiotics are typically not necessary unless otitis media is present or you are finding significant numbers of neutrophils on cytology. Despite what some owners may want, there is no magic antibiotic pill to resolve otitis externa. Unless you clean the ear canal and return the area to more normal state, you won't find long-lasting success. Treating otitis externa is a great time to use the phrase, when you're up to your ear in alligators, the first thing to do is drain the swamp. In other words, we have to make the ear canal less hospitable for infection. If you feel satisfied with your progress so far, but are still having trouble, then it is time to consider perpetuating factors. The category of perpetuating factors includes excess serumen production, secondary to otic irritation, failure of epithelial migration due to otic irritation, continued edema in the ear canal, tympanic membrane rupture, and otitis media. Fortunately, excess serumen production and failure of epithelial migration are the most common problems on this list, and both can be managed with appropriate cleaning. That means continuing to clean the ears weekly for two to eight weeks after the infectious component has resolved. For some dogs, it means cleaning the ears weekly forever. Tympanic membrane rupture and otitis media can be complications of otitis or perpetuating factors for chronic otitis. Be aware that you may need sedation to thoroughly examine the ear canal and tympanic membrane. This is most easily achieved with a video otoscope unit because the light source is much brighter and the magnification is much better. Some cases also benefit from a CT scan. Let's dive deeper into these two perpetuating factors because they are emotional triggers for many clients and veterinarians. Tympanic membrane rupture is somewhat common. In fact, it probably goes unnoticed in many otitis cases because it is very difficult to observe the entire tympanum using a handheld otoscope in an awake dog. 
I encourage you to do your best to observe the tympanic membrane every time you perform otoscopic examination. If you can't see the tympanic membrane, then record that and add a description of why not. If you can see the tympanic membrane and it appears normal, then record tympanic membrane appears normal or appears intact. Unless you are using a video otoscope unit, I would not record with absolute certainty that the tympanum is normal. Ruptured tympanic membranes will usually heal as long as infection and inflammation are managed appropriately. Certain medications should be avoided when the tympanic membrane is ruptured. Specifically, aminoglycoside antibiotics such as genomycin are known to be ototoxic. In general, antifungal drugs and steroids are relatively safe when the tympanic membrane is damaged. However, I advise you to never use the phrase completely safe when talking about medicating an ear with a damaged tympanic membrane. Otitis media, or rather overt clinical signs of otitis media, is less common. Otitis media cases need more aggressive therapy and referrals should be considered. These are the cases that always need systemic antibiotic therapy. Basing that antibiotic therapy on a culture obtained from the middle ear is ideal. Obtaining a culture from the middle ear and flushing the middle ear is best done with a video otoscopy unit and usually by a dermatologist if feasible. A couple of final thoughts before we finish today. Otitis externa is one of the most common reasons why pets are brought to a veterinarian and one of the most common reasons why clients change veterinarians. Document your findings well, be firm when it comes to recheck exams, and remember to be encouraging. Some of us in the veterinary profession enjoy cleaning disgusting ears, but most clients don't. Suggesting they use latex gloves when cleaning can help with the gross factor. Recommending that they clean the ears outside or in the shower can help with the mess factor. Clients may also be afraid to clean their pet's ears, so demonstrate proper techniques, provide handouts, and be encouraging. Issues can arise with, with medication application as well. Many clients have a difficult time applying otic medication. Consider ease of application when choosing which medication you prescribe. Lastly, keep in mind that treatment should be continued until the ear examination and cytology are normal. Only you, the veterinarian, gets to decide when the ear canal is normal. Dr. Dell, thank you for spending time and sharing your insights with our listeners today. I'd like to take a moment and thank our listeners for spending time with us. We hope that you found the information shared in this session useful. If you'd like to learn more about this topic, please be sure to check out our other related programs which you can access from vetfolio.com. Thank you to our podcast sponsor, DECRA, for their support. Let us know what you thought about this session or what other topics you'd like to hear on a future podcast. You can connect with the Vetfolio team via email at support at vetfolio.com.